Welcome to the Flow State Performance Podcast. This is your host, Jiro Taylor. I'm the founder of Flow State, which is an organization that helps leaders and companies exist in states of flow. We nourish an ecosystem of organizations that are optimizing for the emergence of purpose and potential. All the good stuff. If you want to connect with me, if you are looking for potentially some help to develop yourself, develop your self-belief, develop your self-awareness and become a leader in flow, then you can shoot me an email at jiro at flowstate.co if you run a company and you want to explore how your company can shift out of fear, control, uh, mindsets and shift into trust, uh, purpose and expression, which is the new paradigm of business. If you want to turn your business into a hive of human expression and flow, then definitely shoot me an email, jiro at flowstate.co. Today on the podcast, I'm very honored to have uh, the co-founder of the Flow Consciousness Institute, Mr. Justin Fairman. Justin is a brother of mine. Um, We have been in dialogue over the last couple of years. We met up in person when I was in California a few months ago, and we had an instant connection. Um, Obviously, we're both exploring flow and uh, flow consciousness in our own ways. I have... um, support his work him and jackie netchell is the uh he's the other co-founder of the flow consciousness institute these are brothers and sisters of mine i trust them implicitly i support them every way that i can they're doing wonderful things in the world um their level of integrity is impeccable their level of insight wisdom and dedication is impeccable and it was an honor to have him on the show to uh, explore some of his emergences he's really amazing at blending in the, uh, the the science, the emerging science, the emerging science from the fields of quantum physics, uh, from neurobiology, to help us understand what's happening when we're in a flow, when we're experiencing this state of consciousness that they call flow consciousness and I call flow consciousness. Um, Justin is also in the media space. He's running an organization that is dedicated to uh, sharing higher consciousness media. And um, he's just a beautiful human being, walking the talk, living his path, and really, really um, connected to his practice of self-mastery and self-awareness. And I really just honor him for that dedication to that. Um, you're going to enjoy this show if you, if you are exploring flow and you want to know more about it, um, and if, or if you're a flow geek and you've been exploring flow for a while, <laughs> then you're really going to love this conversation. This is a flow conversation between two people who are just a little bit interested in flow. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Flow State Performance Podcast. I'm here with my good friend and flow brother, Justin Fairman. How are you, Justin? I'm beautiful, brother. How are you doing? I'm doing so well. Happy to see your face. And uh, today, for those listening, you're in for a treat. We're going to be diving into some, uh, we have no idea what we're going to talk about, but it's going to be awesome. Um, Justin is the founder of, uh, the co-founder of the Flow Consciousness Institute. Um, in fact, I'm going to let you describe what you're doing, man. Um, <laughs> that's definitely the best way. If you could be so kind as to help the viewer understand, like, I guess some of, some of the labels you wear and some of the work that you do. Yeah, totally. Totally. Um, so, I mean, starting where you left off on uh, as a co-founder of Flow Consciousness Institute. So um, I like to think of what, we, what we've done as, developed, as having developed a new operating system for human consciousness that allows people to live in a more limitless reality where they can experience ongoing flow, effortlessness, exponential growth and success, and really just thrive 
on every level of their being. And so um, we're pioneers in what we call flow consciousness, um, which is on the same spectrum, but on the other end of flow states, instead of it being temporary, it's more of like an ongoing experience of flow, similar in, in, in a loose way to kind of Zen philosophy or, or Taoist Wu Wei philosophy. So that's one thing. We run trainings, we do um, research, we do all kinds of things all over the world. We do a lot of speaking and teaching and traveling. And um, that's one thing. And I also uh, am the founder of a conscious media platform called um, Conscious Lifestyle Magazine, actually the co-founder of that as well. And that's working to basically change the narrative and empower people through um, really high quality, deeply transformational media that helps them to grow and expand as, as they read it and consume it. So those are the two things. I think that's really in service uh, on a high level of um, ushering in a new era of peace, prosperity, and higher consciousness on the planet. And really doing that at a large scale by kind of working on these high leverage things like consciousness and the narrative and systems at a global scale. So all those things kind of come together. And of course, we're all infinite, so we can't be contained in anything, but that's what I'm doing with my time here in this life so far. Beautifully described. Thank you for sharing. So how did you come to be doing this work, Justin? Just give us a little bit of a, an understanding of, I'm, re- I'm really interested in, in childhood um, narratives, you know, like, and, and, and how the kind of threads that connect childhood to present day. Um, can you share something around that? Yeah, totally. Um, well, it all started back when I was five, uh, <laughs> but seriously, it all did start back when I was five. That's, that's about as far back as I can remember. And, um, I, I remember two things first I, I was, when I was really young, I was actually thinking about the kind of things that we're talking about now and we, that we're doing with our lives, which is really cool to kind of be present to being so open and still in touch, you know, with some deeper aspects of my soul when I was a little child. And I was having these really deep insights about the nature of reality. And I was like thinking about the nature of right and wrong and why even at that age, like looking at the world around me, I could see that like, why are people killing each other? Why are people destroying the environment? Like we, this is obviously what's sustaining us. Like why, why are people doing this? And I remember just being so confused and constantly thinking about like all these like big picture existential things. And as cool as that was, it actually had uh, you know, like everything has a positive and a negative. Um, the negative side of that was that it made me feel really disconnected from the reality that I was in because I just was, I felt like super out of sync with it because I clearly had different opinions, uh, than how most people were living. And I also, whenever I would express like what I was thinking, like people couldn't fully understand what I was saying and they just weren't like in that space. They didn't understand what I was talking about fully. So it made me, it, it actually gave me wounding around uh, fear of self-expression and not feeling like I could say what was on my mind or that I could express myself how I truly was because that wasn't being met with love. It was being met with like, the hell are you talking about? You know, or that's interesting, but I don't agree or whatever. And so I, that caused me to shut down um, for a good portion of my life from about ages like six or seven till about 20. I was like in the process of like, losing myself and trying to fit in society's boxes and all these different things. And ended up, you know, I ended up getting addicted to drugs and, you know, eating like crap and treating my body really poorly. And I was super depressed and just all these things that result as, as a, from using yourself and not self-expressing. And then I finally had some moments where I kind of snapped out of that haze and woke up around when I was 20 and um, got into meditation, got into eating organically, got into, you know, expanding consciousness, yoga, and personal development. 
And that sent me on this trajectory where I eventually got to the point when I was about 26, where I started to have experiences that I would now call really powerful flow experiences. And I started to have mentors come into my life that were carrying pieces of this body of work, although they didn't call it flow and they were teaching it in a very different way. But that kind of opened up that, uh, that perceptual filter for me that like it was possible to live in this expanded kind of way that you could live effortlessly and things could be created by very different mechanisms than society teaches you and that could, could be done in a much more um, what we would say effortless and, and flowy way. And so that kind of that was kind of my overall story journey into into flow and, and where I met up with it. So it was really a, a journey of losing myself, finding myself, and then getting so uh, um, like uh, so becoming so passionate about the journey of personal development and self growth that I I couldn't help but hit a flow trajectory because I think that this is where most people are headed in terms of their stage development. Is eventually, you get to a place where like you can sync up and be aware of and allow in a reality of flow and let that be, you know, how you go about your life. Beautiful, man. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. One, one thing that popped up when you were talking was, was around the, the struggles that you had faced. Um, and I think a lot of people can relate to the, to the struggles of uh, the, the feeling of childhood trauma and wounds. And, uh, and it, it made me wonder around the role of pain and challenge or, or how we can, how we sort of con- contextualize pain and challenge in this path of living in flow, which you talked about using words like effortlessness. Um, so what, how, in what way does living in flow encapsulate a life in which there's no doubt that pain and challenge and struggle are just rich and potent forms of, of learning? Yeah, totally. That's a great question. Um, I think that, so basically like our, our grounding and our philosophy around this is that, you know, you need challenge, pain and stuff. Uh, you need uh, struggle and suffering or pain and suffering to grow until you don't, you know what I mean? They're great teachers until you, you, you can shift into a reality where you don't need to learn through pain anymore. So in the collective structure that we're in as a society, that's still a way that most people are choosing to learn. And that's a, a way, like the, the way that our society is structured engenders s- struggle and suffering for many people. And so that's how many people end up learning. But you can get to a point where you don't need to struggle and suffer as a way to learn. And you do that by, by shifting your perception into a level of reality where you can properly contextualize and see the deeper wisdom, the deeper meaning in these experiences. And also too, on the note of, you know, childhood wounding, let go of limiting beliefs, emotional patterns, and the trauma that are creating that feedback loop in your reality, which is really in our, in our experience, in our opinion, why struggle and suffering is is showing up is to really show you these places that you're still limiting yourself. Beautiful. So let's talk a little bit about this, this concept of, of letting go. Um, I know that you're, you've done some education around, emotional freedom technique is that correct um or what what are some of the what are some of the tools you teach people to let go of things like childhood patterning and trauma totally so we basically we've kind of developed a few different techniques in-house that pick on some different modalities like emdr and um you know somatic therapy different somatic therapies that kind of access deeper layers of our nervous system and our mind and our body and our energy bodies and so on and so forth so 
Um, there's a little bit of overlap with EFT, but it's also different in its own way. And what we found is that, you know, there's four different levels that a pattern needs to be cleared on. That in most personal development methodologies, even in most psychotherapeutic or, or healing modalities, people tend to work on one, maybe two levels. There's actually four levels that we need to work on, which is mental, emotional, energetic, and physical. That uh, a wound or a pattern will actually get embedded on all of these different layers of you know the, the unit of self. And so if you just are working on something on a mental layer, which is typically how people work with limiting beliefs, you're not addressing it on these other layers, and then therefore it doesn't it doesn't fully release because there is other components. And so um, the techniques that we that we use are really designed to to hit every single one of those layers. So that, like for example, there's a lot of great techniques out there that work on one layer, but if you hybridize them all together, then you're able to kind of have a more potent thing that allows people to access deeper layers more easily. Awesome, man. Cool. Thank you for sharing that. Um, now let's, let's get into a little bit more about your, your work and what's been, what's been coming through for you lately, because I know that you and I are on kindred spirits in many ways and on a similar path and it's a path of emergence really. And mm-hmm. it constantly strikes me how we, you know, we keep showing up, we keep doing our own self-awareness practices um, and we kind of, there's a trust, there's a surrender. We don't really know what's going to, what's going to open up for us. So what's, what's been coming through for you uh, lately? Like what, what are some of the new emergences that, are, that you've been breathing life into? Yeah, totally. Um, I mean, similar, similar to you where it's basically like the, the flow work is being called into like bigger and bigger spheres. You know, it's really the way that, that it's birthed through us and the way that we teach it is really, um, you know, an individual practice, but we also live in a collective reality and we live in a community. And so it's, it's being, people are curious and wanting to know how it applies in those contexts. So we, we've been doing a lot of research, a lot of real world testing, a lot of, you know, just deep intuitive listening and, and study into like what, how does it want to emerge on the collective scale? And like, how does it fit into, for example, a, uh, a you know, a, a project that's designed to transform every aspect of society? Like what's the through line in government and politics and health and, you know, and uh, social systems and the environmental uh, sphere like how does how does flow fit into that you know where where is its place you know is it foundational to everything is there more nuanced applications in each one of these fields or or what so we've been really exploring like how to integrate it into every layer of society and not have it just be only for people who are able to have the time energy bandwidth finances whatever to just kind of like do an intensive personal development thing. Like how do we take it out and teach it in like the poorest, most, you know, uh, most challenging environments and stuff like that. So. Mm, interesting. So a couple of things that have been coming up for me, you, you, you talk about flow on in a similar way that I do in terms of understanding that there's this individual level and then there's this organizational or collective tribal kind of cultural level. And then you've spoken a couple of times about the systems that we're all a part of. Um, now, what's what is your vision? What's what's like the the, the direction or the yeah vision is the only is the only word I guess that best describes it. What's your what's your vision for the future? 
uh, when you think about all of those le- levels together. Totally. I mean, you know, there's, there's two, I guess you could take two different perspectives on this. You know, there's the perspective that everybody's getting exactly what they need in every moment. And so the trajectory where we're at and, and what we're doing now is exactly where we need to be. And then there's also the trajectory of like, well, if you could wave a magic wand and create anything you want, what would you create? You know, and that, I think that's really the level of vision. It's like, what, what are we holding for uh, uh, the planet? Or what are we holding for ourselves or whatever? And on that level, you know, I really see um, it's, it's, it's such a big thing to like really like sit down. In the conversations I have with people, really people sit down and really describe their vision. It could take like 30 or 40 minutes for something as big as the planet. But I think a cool way to simplify it is something along the lines of where every single UN sustainable development goal is, is hit and achieved and locked in place. We have uh, ongoing lasting world peace. That's a tricky one to define too, because peace has a lot of different levels to it. But ongoing world peace, there's, um, uh, we've switched over to completely clean, renewable energy. Um, we're getting to the point where free energy, completely free, unlimited energy is the thing. And we're all able to collectively live in a state of flow consciousness. So society is reorienting itself around purpose. Uh, you know, deep inner healing work is being done on a large scale. We're transcending the need for war and suffering and violence. And we're able to kind of reorient, re-engineer society in a way that is supportive for all life, plant, animal, human, mineral, whatever. That every, every, every aspect of this reality that we experience is supported and nourished and given space to self-express fully. Beautiful, brother. Thank you for articulating that. That's definitely a vision that I want to be a part of. That sounds beautiful. Yeah, and organic restaurants everywhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. And like clean surf and offshore whenever yeah, I show up. Frames, no sh- you know, they're sharks, but they're doing their thing. They don't, they don't. Sharks who are just well nourished and well fed that aren't interested in Yeah. Cool, man. Um, so what, what do you what do you tune in as as the as the biggest obstacles to to, to us collectively manifesting this 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 vision that sits within all of our hearts, the more beautiful world our hearts know as possible? What is it that stands in the way? Yeah, well, this is, that's a really good question. I've been having a lot of conversations around this. I mean, my personal belief is that it's always a consciousness level issue. Like every every issue is a consciousness level issue. I've heard some friends and mentors of mine say that agency is really important, um, that most people feel disempowered and they have lost, they're, they're in a state where they believe that reality is hopeless or their situation is hopeless. And so they lose their agency. But I still think that that's even an extension of consciousness, like not having agency, like you can drill that down into beliefs and emotional patterns and so on. So I really think that the problems stem from our own internal problems, our own feelings of separateness, separateness our own feelings of being unworthy, um, our own belief that the situation's hopeless, whatever the, co- the, the oppressive collective mainstream media narrative is at the moment, right? All of these things are kind of holding us into this, locking us into this reality. And so I feel like we need new storytellers in a lot of ways, people that can really like put out a new narrative. And that's not just uh, one person, but it's like, a blending of all these different disciplines of philosophy, of science, of research, showing that we live in the most prosperous time, all the technologies we have, we just like kind of need built on that foundational level of consciousness. We need a group of people to kind of come together and be the early adopters and like anchor in this new reality and then let it diffuse out, you know, how it will. 
Mm. I love how you honed in on the, the power of storytelling there. This is something that's been coming up a lot for me um, f- from really disparate ends. So on one end, there's sort of like the indigenous worldviews of the land that I'm sitting in now in Australia, where these uh, humans would go out and, and sing the world into existence through stories. And there was actually no written language on this continent. So everything was stories. Everything was passed down stories and uh, mythologized. And I've really been tuning into the power of myth and the power of stories and therefore the power of storytellers, the importance of storytellers. And on the other end of the spectrum, I've been studying um, complexity science and learning about complex adaptive systems and about um, to understand such such systems, which is what, what we're all a part of. The human body is a complex adaptive system. Society is a complex adaptive system. Um, the the truest, most high fidelity data that can be gleaned from a complex adaptive system is in the anecdotes and the stories that are that are being told firsthand by people. That it's in it's in those things that uh, not only can you reveal the consciousness of the organism, but you can change the consciousness of the organism. So if you reverse engineer that, you've basically got change the stories, change the consciousness, and. What's powerful about that is realizing like the, the, the mechanisms that dominate storytelling in our culture, like CNN, Fox News, and, or, and even like, you know, YouTube and, and, and things like social media, things like that. And I, I remember one of the powerful shifts in consciousness I went through when I just decided that I would no longer, um, I would no longer submit my consciousness to the flow of information that was coming through mainstream media. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I'm sure you've gone through a similar thing as well. But for me, I was like, I went through a stage in my 20s where I was kind of like addicted to the news. I was working in the corporate world and I would, and I would, and my father would always read a big newspaper from cover to cover. And, and I started picking up the same pattern of just, it's just like this very extreme form of, of, of brainwashing. What, what do you think, uh, when you tune into the stories that are being told in our culture, what what do you see as um, I guess like the potential for us to be part of creating a shift there? What what can we what 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 can I do? What can you do? What can the person listening do to to be part of creating new stories and telling them? Totally. Well, I mean, th- there's a lot of different layers of that, right? Like you know, you can go from super granular, like how do you do this, right? You know, I, I so let's start there and work backwards, I guess, right? Uh, like I think that. Um, I mean, first of all, like us just living our lives and anybody else who's living their lives outside of this, this collective narrative that the mainstream media is propagating and who's just like living, you know, a different reality is storytelling through their action, right? They're just showing other people that this is possible, right? So I think it's important for us. This is something, this is a conversation I've been having too. Um, I think it's really important for people to who, who are living like that to like, let themselves be visible, let themselves be, be public in a sense to show people that there's an alternative reality to the one that they may have been told for their entire life. So that's, that's really important. And you can tell stories about that. Of course you can make videos, you know, people can do mini documentaries. I, I think that's a really powerful way. And this is part of what we're doing with conscious lifestyle is what we call solutions focused media, right? It's like telling the stories of all the great things that are happening, like highlighting the solutions to the problems 
That's like, that's the, that's the thing that the mainstream media does is it just focuses on the problems. It magnifies the problems and it makes it seem like the problems are everywhere and that they're intractable. But every single issue we face as a society, every single one, there is a solution to it on some level, some kind of technology, whether it's a consciousness technology, whether it's an actual, you know, electronic technology or mechanical technology, environmental, we have all the solutions we need to solve every single problem we face as a society right now. So what gives, right? Like what that question becomes like, well, why aren't, like, why aren't people implementing them? It's because most people have no awareness that that's the case. And it's because we're not telling those stories. We're not showing people there's a different way to live. Like the media, the collective media isn't doing that. So I think it's, it comes back to like all of us really being able to kind of share what we know. And this is not the time to be shy and hold back. It's the time to, to demonstrate for all of us to step into our leadership, our self-expression, and to just like put that out there on all these different levels. Mm, beautiful. Okay. So that's, so you raised a couple of points there. One is like empowerment and permission to share, which obviously requires us as individuals to break through crusts of vulnerability and, and fear. And then um, the other thing you spoke about was, was like literally like the, the, the granular power of all of our, of all of our stories just th- that they're so important. Um, we've, we've got to, we've got to get out there and start speaking our truth. Now, what about on the, on, on the next level up? Like when we think about, I don't know, someone like Facebook, can we think about algorithms and machine learning and AI? And we think about um, the systems that, that, that we're a part of. In fact, you know, billions of people are a part of a system that these guys have created. And essentially, and, and it's kind of like a paradoxical kind of place to play. And let, let's talk about Facebook. I'm, I'm very curious about your opinions on this. Because on one end of the spectrum, I've got like, uh, it's it's like the way that I've curated my my, my thing on there is that like, it's, it's like a hive of like higher consciousness um, stuff going on um, in, in that there's connections with all sorts of people doing great work in the world. On the other hand, there's just the, the knowing that this is a platform that's been engineered in a certain way. And there's kind of like a darkness to it, you know, and you can't get away from that the way that they're, uh, hacking into the dopamine release system and the way that their agenda is really about attaching, uh, sorry, collecting attention. Um, Mm -hmm. And there's no getting away from the fact that that's all tied to a financial model. Right. So how do we, how do we navigate a reality in which telling our stories is really important and it's really powerful. um, Yet we're part of systems which have which don't have a purity in terms of their intent. Yeah, totally. I mean, you know, uh, maybe this is like a Lao Tzu quote or something or a Sun Tzu quote or something, but it's like, you know, use all resources at your disposal. I don't even know if it is. It just sounds, (laughs) sounds wise. Yeah, It sounds like it probably is. And so, you know, kind of one of, one of my operating philosophies is like, take what you need and leave the rest. You know what I mean? Like take, take what serves you and take what, take what resonate with and leave the rest. And I feel like Facebook, that applies to everything, but especially Facebook, because on one level, you know, it's for those who can see it for what it is, it is probably the most powerful tool for shaping human collective consciousness quickly Mm. right now. I mean, where else can somebody go and potentially broadcast the message to the entire world? 
Facebook, you know, you could, you could say YouTube or Twitter. So, you know, this applies to a lot of social platforms, right? But really Facebook, the way that that platform is engineered, it has the potential for messages that are well-designed to reach large amounts of people quickly and to have very real-time shifts in the collective consciousness. So that's a beautiful aspect of it. And I think that's the highest use of the platform is when something goes viral and transcends your, you know, echo chamber of a feed and goes onto other people's feed and then they share it and it starts to, to go out and, and, you know, become viral or whatever. Like this is something that we have a lot of experience with as publishers and having created many pieces of viral content over the years that have gone out to many, many millions of people, even billions of people sometimes. So like that, I think is such a, such a great aspect of it. And yeah, totally people are addicted to their phones because of it, but it's like, okay, so yes, that's on one level, that's, that's a problem and that needs to be changed. But if, everybody had empowering solutions focused media in the thing that they were addicted to that's exponentially better than it being disempowering media with being the thing that they're addicted to so i feel like the addiction is like kind of like the second layer of the problem it's like first let's max out the good that this platform can do and then we can deal with things like okay what's a healthy amount of technology in our in our lives because if if that's the only purpose that it serves i still see it as a win for it to be you know this mass dissemination platform Mm, interesting. It it's it brought me. It, it I, I was thinking about one of my friends who works with addicts, um, as in drug addicts, and he gets the, the path is to get them addicted to flow, get them addicted to cheese. Totally. <laughs> addiction addiction is like you know you definitely want to do it from a place of joy and not feeling less than, but like addiction can be used powerfully. Like if you're addicted to uh, you know supporting organic farms, like okay. You know, <laughs> It's like, it, it could be worse, you know? Totally. I'm just addicted to hugging people and, and learning wisdom <laughs> and just like contributing right? to the world. <laughs> totally, totally. Maybe that's the ultimate hack for humanity is just to leverage our addictive ways and our dopamine release systems for, for the greater good. In fact, that's, that's probably ancient wisdom right there, you know? Um, when yeah. I think about like, when I think about some of the things that I've learned from indigenous traditions, like something as basic as giving offerings, putting prayers out, um, making a, like making a very taking time and, and making effort to create a beautiful offering that you're going to offer to, to Pachamama, to mother nature. It's like on, on a neurobiological level, that's kind of like making us giving us feel good juice in our brains that's um gonna make us feel great and it's gonna make us uh it, there's almost no doubt that it's 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 creating a cycle which we could become addicted to in a sense in a, in a well, yeah yeah interesting i want yeah. to geek out do you want to finish something on that before i want to geek out on on let's geek out Let's that sounds- okay bro so there's a lot of people who listen to this show um actually you in in, in our in our community your the, the paper that you wrote um on flow consciousness and which which tied in a lot of amazing theory relating to the brain and relating to quantum physics that gets regularly shared and uh, so i'd just like to honor you for the depth of your inquiry and, and, the, and the effort to put that together um and let's geek out let's geek out about it let's talk about um flow at a, at, at a very very deep level on okay. on one end of the spectrum you've got this highly simplified perception of flow 
which is valid in a sense. And it's basically, look, remove the distraction, put down your phone, uh, become single-minded, learn to focus, and that's and you and you and you're probably going to flow, right? And then on the other end of the spectrum, you've got vast amounts of money going into into research. You've got people like yourselves um, and myself connecting dots between neuroscience, quantum physics, um, mysticism, shamanism, um, and all sorts of isms. And it's, I want to explore the dots that you are connecting here. Like how, how do you understand what's the question that I'm, that I'm landing on here? So can you go deeper into your, your understanding of what you call flow consciousness, please? Totally. Well, you know, I, I, I made a post about this the other day and, and I think that, you know, on some level, like, okay, so here's where, here's where it's, intuition's wanting to take me. It's like, the question is, you know, do you believe that uh, we live in a world where reality is happening to us or do we, do we live in a world where reality is being co-created by us? That's really the elephant in the room at any time. And this is the existential debate that, you know, is happening in the halls of academia. And, and uh, you know, the, the, these are the questions that the quantum physicists and the physicists and the neuroscientists are trying to answer. You know, is this question taken down to maybe another level, which is, is consciousness exist uh, outside of, you know, the brain or is consciousness a result of, you know, uh, um, uh, neurological processes, right? Is consciousness emerged from the brain or is consciousness uh, independent of the brain, right? This is, this is like the elephant in the room. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, if you take the perspective that consciousness exists outside of the brain and that consciousness is the most foundational layer of reality, then you can have a ground unified theory of everything, right? Then you can actually fulfill Einstein's uh, thrust there. And you can actually have a reality in which all phenomenon can be explained, you know, fairly neatly compared to all these kind of add-ons that people are trying to tape onto this materialist, you know, reductionist perspective. And so I think when you get, when you, when you come from that perspective, that consciousness is the most foundational layer of reality, everything else emerges from consciousness that you start to see the connections between quantum physics and neuroscience and psychology and, you know, uh, shamanism and mysticism and, and everything, because consciousness is the thing that ties all of those things together. So of course it's going to show up in really interesting ways in all of those different areas. And if you take the additional filter that we are creating our reality as kind of like the secret key that, ex- that, that unlocks everything, then you start to see like, how our own biases are showing up in those fields and why we're seeing certain phenomena in some way and why there's all these, this chaos and so on and so forth. So, um, so yeah, so I, I feel like that's, that's like kind of the magic key that, that ties everything together and why people that start to have these realizations get so fascinated by these overlapping areas of these different fields. It's because they're all kind of screaming and trying to point at this larger truth and yet, like so much of the scientific world is trying to ignore it, even though the I feel like the writing's on the wall, you know. So where, where so you called it the elephant in the room? I, I recently called it the uh, what did I call it? The it it felt to me like that's just where the conversation ends. You are consciousness either as a localized phenomena emerging from the brain, or consciousness as a non-localized phenomena that exists outside of the brain. And it seems to me that you 
once you reach that level in the in the conversation and there's a disagreement a fundamental disagreement then it's really really hard to to move forward in my experience um i wonder if it has to be that way um but 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 my actual question is what research you've become aware of that might help us understand on a deeper level consciousness existing outside of the brain yeah totally um you know there's, there's a high leverage person to mention to call out for this kind of stuff um is probably one of the world's top experts on non-local uh, uh you know non-local consciousness theory or the phenomenon of non-local consciousness holding that down Irvin laszlo mm-hmm. um and it's not that he's done the research per se like the actual you know case studies or actually done you know clinical research or whatever but he's collected all of it he's you know he, he he's done the meta research to really bring all of these different things together and approach it in a very a very academic way which is really cool but there's a lot of other people that are doing a lot of amazing stuff and you know this is one of those things that's very challenging to test because you know if everybody was uh you know on some level people kind of have to die to be able to test it right if consciousness is like leaving the body like you have to be able to kind of astral travel which is at an advanced capacity and most people can't do it predictably and reliably you have to be able to either do that or you kind of have to have an out-of-body experience or a near-death experience it's a very hard thing to measure and also most of science is like locked into this like rationalist materialist paradigm so they won't even they don't even accept the postulate that you know, consciousness can exist outside of the brain, let alone are they developing tools to study kind of things that they believe are already not true. So you kind of have this weird disconnect where it makes it challenging to, to get a lot of like hardcore, you know, uh, controlled uh, lab-based research around this phenomenon because of just the nature of the belief systems of the scientific community and the fact that it's kind of an esoteric mystical thing on some level. But where I think the strongest research is, is in case studies, of people that have had near-death experiences, of um, people that have had out-of-body experiences, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of um, different things that have happened uh, that that have shown pretty unequivocally that people retain their consciousness after that they after they die. And when all biological measures of death have set into the body, no heart rate, um, you know, no brain activity, they're pronounced clinically dead sometimes for hours at a time. Like people will go and have experiences see things that they couldn't possibly have seen in their body and come back and accurately report on what's happened. And it's like, okay, well, what about that? You know, like, how do you, how do you explain that away? And the, the truth is, is that every conversation I've ever had with somebody who's a trained quantum physicist or, uh, you know, a trained researcher, you know, PhD level researchers, they, when you, when you share things like that, they begin to question, they go, well, uh, how well was that study conducted? You know, and they, it's, it's a straw man argument because you can't, you can't argue with the, the, the validity of what happens. So people start to question, you know, they start to attack the foundation of it. Was it recorded properly? Okay, well, maybe one or two people experienced that, but that's statistically insignificant because what's happening is they're hitting up against like the limits of their belief structure and they're not willing to make the transcendence. And that comes back to this original point, which is like, we are creating our reality. So even when we're presented with, evidence of something that's, that exists outside of it, we often don't let ourselves accept it or see it. And then people stay in the box. And then it's like, even though there's tons of evidence, there's tons of research and evidence that people won't let themselves see it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a fascinating thing about the, the academic world, isn't it? Um, a fascinating thing. It's almost like the truth can only exist in one's own experience. And certainly that's, that, that's the truth of my experience. And I think that 
I mean, even when I've interviewed like flow neuroscientists like Arna Dietrich, who's often quoted in, in flow, flow state science, it, it was a, I interviewed him a couple of years ago and it was like stunning the, the resistance he had to just like, just, just the willingness to look beyond the paradigms of his belief system was, was, was amazing. And you, you kind of like, therefore need to have experiences which create stories, which dismantle previous belief systems and create new belief systems, which is why it's so amazing that more and more people are going down esoteric pathways and exploring, having plant medicine experiences, for example, or other kinds of experiences, because they are literally creating new stories. There are new stories going out there. Um, totally. So, go on. I was just agreeing with you. Yeah. <laughs> so, this, uh, let's talk about intuition. So, mm-hmm. what, is, what are some of the ways that you look at training, honing, honoring your own intuition? Yeah, totally. I mean, uh, you know, you really have to like learn to trust yourself, right? Mm. Trust, trusting yourself is at the foundation of intuition, right? Cause it's not something that you can always verify externally, at least immediately, depending on the kind of intuition it is. So you have to really have a deep, that, that as I think the foundational layers, you have to like trust it and kind of claim it and own it and acknowledge it because uh, intuitional capacity is one of the easiest things to shut down because we live in a society that trains us that anything that happens in here is not real and anything that happens out there is that's nothing you can count on so intuition coming from within there's already there's already like you know this this distrust of like what's going on in the mind it's a daydream it's just your imagination you know it, it, you have to be careful so like there's a cultural barrier to you know using intuition actively so you have to really like hone in and, and begin to trust yourself and think and, and be, begin to understand that not every thought you have is just a daydream that some of them actually have like some pretty important, you know, data for you. And on that wavelength, I think the second layer is really like understanding the difference in feeling and felt sensation between a normal thought or something that's in your, the realm of imagination and something that's in intuition because intuition has a different way of showing up. It, it actually comes into the body slightly different pathways than, um, than our thoughts do. And so it has a different feeling, right? It, what we teach is that intuition um, can be noticed by the, by the different feeling that it has from a normal thought. And so by tuning into the felt sense layer of your body, right, you can begin to notice how an intuition feels versus, some, versus how a normal thought feels. And once you kind of get that initial calibration of oh, this is how intuition feels and shows up for me, then it's much easier to kind of use that as a check-in tool to, to notice what source your thought or your perception or whatever is coming from. And then once you have that, it's pretty easy to kind of sort left and right. Okay, that's intuition, that's not. And then it gets really easy to just train yourself to seek out that feeling or that experience and then kind of stay in a constant state of operating from your intuition. Mm. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, it's really helpful for people to understand that this is obviously an awareness piece, but to understand that um, the the repeated consistent awareness of going, putting through that filter of what, what, how does this show up in my body? What is the, the sensation here? It's really helpful for people to understand that awareness really is on this spectrum. And 
unless you really embark on deep self-awareness practices to the degree where that Taoist masters have this perception of what's going on in their gallbladder and what's going on in their spleen, yeah. tune into that like that. Right. And to, to actually understand that our intuitive awareness exists on, on this spectrum, we're really moving to the more subtle levels is, is really helpful for people to understand why they're doing these things. Why, why one of the reasons why we're training, why we're meditating, why we're spending time in silence and nature, why, why we're, doing this particular form of work another thing that came up for me was the 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 concept of like honoring our intuition when when we when we or when we honoring our trust and surrender like when we actually like live from that intuitive place i've noticed that we can either just let it slide uh oh yeah that that happened when i when i surrendered and when i trusted and when i let go and awesome or there's a way to actually like nurture and fertilize and and like nourish what just happened in a way that helps us experience more of what just happened. Have you experienced that as well? Yeah, totally. I mean, I personally, like when something happens, that's like really incredible. I I get fascinated by it. You know, I'm like, what the hell just happened? Like, that was amazing. Like, how does that work? And then I, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like those are the carrots on the stick uh, in our lives that are trying to be like, Hey, you know, this is the path of like your evolution here, you know, like this, this is going to lead you to kind of having an awesome life. Like you, and that's why it was such a great experience. And so like, I feel like, you know, it, we, we should just like, when, when things like that happen, it's like pay attention. You know what I mean? Like this is like life trying to guide you forward. So whatever, just whatever you did, you know, make a note, note of it, write it down. Yeah. Put it on a yeah. post-it note behind I you. Say, I, was like, I was like, I bet you that's what all those notes are, right? Dude, <laughs> <laughs> I, I just can't read any of the words on them. You know, you got to bring a little closer. All the secrets. Yeah. You'll, you'll laugh if you know what that is up there. That's, that's uh, we, me and a, a, a flow brother, we're running a, uh, uh, we, we are in the middle of running a program, probably not dissimilar to your flow mastery program. Um, this, they're called flow pods and they're just designed for, for small people, for small groups of people. Um, and we take them on this journey. And so this is a, this is a perfect segue, uh, perfect thing to talk about in this conversation around trust and intuition versus, uh, non-trust and overthinking. Um, I got Trent around and said, all right, let's, let's drop in and do some, uh, meditation and breathing and then see what wants to emerge. And, and so, you know, this, using butcher's paper and post-it notes is, is very much a consulting type of thing, right? When, you, when you're doing organizational change and, and you're getting leaders in a room, will be, you'll, it's like post-it note craziness. They're just like popping out of everywhere. Um, and they are useful. It's, it's great yeah. to like get, get these little nuggets out, but there's a boundary. And so we were, we, we, this is broken into weeks and it's broken into sections and it's like, what, what's the main theme? What are we sharing? What are we doing on the live session? What sort of video are we going to record? What's the reading material? What's the practice for that week? And we dropped in and we, we, we started sharing some ideas. And then after about an hour, we were just like, kind of like reached this impasse and we looked at each other and we were like, should we just make it up as we go along? <laughs> <laughs> we just trust that what wants to come out is going to come out 
Um, and so it's that beautiful balance between the quantum and the mechanical, right? Like there's that really we, we live in both realities. This is the way I see it anyway. And, and you can maybe you can push back on this if you so desire. But we I, I see like the quantum reality, the, the mechanical reality is being one in which there is linear time and, and there is form and there is gravity. And, and there's, you know, if I smack my head against the wall, it's going to cause me pain. And there is the need for some sort of structure and order um, to help us thrive in that reality. And then there is the quantum reality, which is immeasurable and infinite, and um, it's coexisting. And whenever I prepare for stuff, whenever I prepare for workshops or giving talks or, or programs, there's the the academic mind the 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 university trained mind the western cultured mind wants to like get into planning mode and then that can get dominant over dominant and then there's like okay the the awareness to realize at what point you've reached the point where you just trust and but but if you take that too extreme and you don't do anything on the mechanical spectrum and you just, you know, you, you just show up and you, and you live. In, I've, I've, been, I've been in workshops and talks where the person has taken that to, to another extreme and where what comes, where I wish they'd done a bit more planning, you know, especially oh, spiritual communities. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I, love, I love what you're getting at. And there's, there's like some really interesting things here. Um, because they're like, this is such a, like, this is such a hard thought. Where do I start with this? That? So like, we have to question like the way information is presented in general, like the, the cultural dynamics of how information is given and I think is broken and, and how things are taught is a little bit broken because like he, to, 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 I'll come back around to that. It'll make sense in a second. But like, like what I found is, and what we teach with flow is that like the magic's in the integration. So polarity and duality, paradox, inherent property of reality we find flow in the integration point. So quantum and mechanical, both are necessary, right? But how do we develop something that like synergizes and synthesizes them both? And what, what I found, what we, what we do is we use like a fluid structure, which is like for us and when we're giving a talk, and again, the way that talks are given, in my opinion, is broken. I'll talk about that in a second. But like when we give a talk where it's like a one directional conversation, more or less, then I find it helpful to have like because because when you're communicating something like we often communicate which is complex and nuanced and has multiple different layers there is something to be said about the value of like being somewhat linear and, and precise because it helps it helps people to assimilate like complex information so like having a loose framework that anchors in the key points but also has blank space to allow whatever wants to spontaneously arrive I found that to be like kind of the balance point. We call it fluid structure. So you have a general idea of the intention of what you're trying to do and maybe some of the key points that are very important to hit for people to get the, con- the concept. But then those could almost even be reorganized in whatever form you want and there's blank space to be present to whatever intuitively is coming through and whatever is you're sensing in the, the audience. So I think the fluid structure is awesome when you're in the broken system of, you know, I'm the I'm the, the teacher, you're the student, and that's it. It's one directional information flow. But how often does that happen in nature? Very, very rarely. It's 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 two directional flows. It's input and output. So I feel like in if you take away this hierarchical old school model of like speaker on stage, audience is silent, they receive information, and it becomes more circular, 
And instead you're in a conversation with a group. When you're in a conversation, the need for like planning goes away because whatever needs to, like people are, you're, you're dynamically calibrating to the audience, right? You're dynamically calibrating the people that are there and what needs to emerge naturally emerges. So you can really show up in the like, let's see what happens, right? Because it's, it's an interaction. But when it's just you communicating, then it's, you need more structure because um, if you don't, then you end up kind of, you can end up wandering and getting off onto tangents. And because there's no feedback from the people that are there, it's like harder to calibrate to what they actually need. So I, don't, I know that's a lot, but like, that's kind of like my experience. No, talking about. Yeah. And the way that these flow pods run is as a dialogue circle. So we just yeah. in and, and even though it's on Zoom, we're sitting in a circle and we honor the, the circular flow of, of information and it's, and it's all about honoring emergence and, and the, honoring the, the unknowingness of that. And, and that's really the next, the new paradigm of communication, which I'm working to bring into organizations and I, and I know you guys are as well. But like you mentioned so many things, like you mentioned hierarchies, you mentioned broken educational models of teacher, like a preacher on a pulpit, just like sending down missiles of like stuff that yeah. you've got to learn. You talked about input, output. You talked about natural networks and things like that. This is all amazing stuff, man. This is, and, you're, and, you're, and we're really talking about, the, in fact, the un, the un, what we didn't even know we were going to talk about here, but what has emerged as a consistent thread through our dialogue has been storytelling communication like how we actually communicate which is fascinating that we we've gone into this as two guys looking into flow states expanded consciousness as a path to the more beautiful world and what we've honed in on is like how we're communicating it's amazing isn't it it is it is amazing and you know i thought i i I couldn't believe it many years ago when like i like got thrust into like the marketing world like my, my path was like spit me out in the marketing world. And I, it just felt so, I remember I'm like, I don't even know what the hell marketing is. And now I'm the director of marketing at a huge company. I'm like, some, there's something going on here. And, but what, what is awesome about market, I think marketing is like, <laughs> it's one of those things where it has, it can have such a bad like rap, but at the same time, it's like the most profound thing at the same time, because marketing is really the art of effective communication. Uh-huh. And it's like, it's like, there's so much wisdom sitting in there that's been used to manipulate people, unfortunately, but that can really allow us to like birth so much positive change in the world. And so, um, and it all comes back to what you're saying, which is communication, storytelling, right? Like, and that's, that's such a big challenge that I see people have. It's like so many people that have so many great solutions, so many great ideas, they're not effective communicators or whatever, however they're doing it is like not effective communication. And it's like, I almost like want to teach the world marketing so people can start to like, learn how to communicate in ways that actually like enroll people in their ideas and their visions because that's mm. kind of like all we all we really need is like just uh, you know yeah, yeah i know what you're saying man i know what you're saying have you uh, one of my one of my um collaborating partners um who i work on the organization level with he uh he's called stefan stauber he runs something called create meaning a beautiful uh movement called create meaning and he used to be in the marketing world oh you met stefan um, yeah. yeah. And he, you know, he was deep in the, in, in the marketing world, working with, you know, big, big companies. And, um, he now runs create meaning and he runs this particular workshop where he, he might have a room full of marketing executives and he starts his presentation with a clip by the comedian, Bill Hicks. I don't know if you've seen it. 
<laughs> he's like, he's like, is anybody in advertising and marketing here? This is the comedian speaking. He's like, kill yourself. He's like, and everyone like laughs. And he's like, no, 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 seriously, kill yourself. Yeah. <laughs> I know, I know you're waiting for a punchline. I know you're waiting. No, 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 there's no punchline. Seriously, kill yourself. You're the spawn of Satan. You are the devil. You have no, no meaningful function in this world. Um, and it's kind of like a, a lot of people laugh and they, and they kind of like get it. A lot of people don't, they get offended, but it's kind of like forces us to break apart and to look at what this thing called marketing is. So I'm interested in, in, in what you're saying here, because on, on one level, marketing is the art of effective communication. But then on another level, you could also argue that marketing is the art of manipulation or adding or the way that marketing has manifested in our culture is the art of manipulation. And um, yeah, just t- talk to me a little bit about how you distinguish those things. Well, it's, it's like the, you know, the classic adage is that like guns don't kill people, people kill people, right? A, a gun doesn't have to kill a person, right? So marketing is a technology and it can be used to serve profit or it can be used to serve purpose and, and, you know, holism. And so, you know, the weight, like the dominant, we, we, we live in a capitalistic paradigm where profit is put about just about above everything else. So of course, marketing is used in that context. And, um, but at the same time, like that's, that's just, that's unfortunate, you know, on some level, on another level, it's perfect, but it's unfortunate. And, and, um, and so I think it's really about like kind of rebirthing marketing and maybe even not even using the word marketing. Like I would really use communication you know, is really what it is, but it's like, it's effective communication of an idea by understanding like the ways to do that. You know, like if you study storytelling, right? Like there's known arcs, there's known archetypal story paths that, that produce like transformation in the viewer. That's marketing as applied to storytelling. You know what I mean? There's a few of that. So like what we can discern, what all marketing is doing is saying like, is like people noticing like, Hey, when you do this, the human reacts like this. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, it's like, okay, that's interesting. You know, or when you say this, like this, this way of phrasing something gets people interested in it. So it's like, if we can understand that and then use that knowledge to like present positive ideas in a way that actually helps people see, you know what I'm saying? Like blockchain is a perfect example, a great space, really positive potential for society but it's not, and pe- most of the people in that space are not very marketing savvy. So they're having trouble communicating the potential of what blockchain can do in, in people's everyday lives. So people are just seeing it as this giant cash grab when it's really this like hugely transformative technology. So like, that's a perfect example of like something that is kind of out of sync with like what it can do versus what people think it is are just totally out of sync because of bad effective communication. You know? Totally. Totally. So marketing itself is a is a neutral channel, and it basically comes down to what is the what is the frequency of the energy that's flowing through it. And right, it comes back to consciousness, right? It comes back to consciousness. Everything, all roads lead back to consciousness, which yeah. is why we do what we do, right? Totally, and, th- and this is why, I th- and this is why I think storytelling is the biggest leverage point that we have for our transformation. Is because at the end of the day, it's really about what you believe, and. And if you can change somebody's beliefs, then you can change their actions and you can change everything else. So it's like the storytelling is a way to change people's beliefs about something into, in my opinion, marketing using its highest good. It's something that's constructive, right? 
Mm. Yeah, like that's a secret. And like, you know, I was, I was actually, I saw some, something come across my desk the other day and there's this company called Agora Financial and they're like legendary in the marketing space because they've, they've, you know, created like the, they're like the best marketers in the world to some, to some degree, depending, you know, very profit driven, but very, very good at getting people to take action through words. And the guy that was uh, interviewing like the, like their head copywriter, he's like, what's your secret? He's like, well, there's like a three-part framework that we go through. He's like, to get people to buy anything. And they guys, okay, well, what is it? He's like, well, first you need to figure out what do they need to believe in order to buy the product? Then you need to figure out what beliefs do they currently hold that are preventing them from taking action. And then the third thing is like, what beliefs um, do they have that may be objections to why the product is, to, to buying this product? So all three of the things were literally playing at the level of belief. Like that was their big secret technique is like, you know, whatever people perceive, that's going to dictate what they do. And so if you can manipulate them into perceiving your product or service or whatever is desirable, then they'll, they'll buy it. But what he's really saying that when you, when you strip out that profit motive is that beliefs control everything. And if, if you know that, and you're an artful storyteller with that frame, then you can literally get people to do something positive like Gandhi or Mandela or any of these people would have them do, or you can get them to do terrible things like Hitler would have them do. So it's like, just the technology goes different ways depending on who's using it, you know? And I think that's our imperative and anybody who's listening to this who believes in a better future is like to really take that knowledge and like go out in the world and like tell them, tell the new story, you know? Mm, beautiful brother. Tell the new story, sing it loud, tell your own stories, tell the truth of your own experience. That's, that is what is going to have the most remarkable um, exponential effect on this expansion of consciousness that we're living through at the moment. Um, amazing. Thank you so much for dropping in with me, Justin. Uh, Thanks for creating space for this. Yeah, brother. It's it's always it's it's always a beautiful experience when we when we get to connect. Um, tell us, just tell the viewers that old classic piece of the podcast. Where can people find out about where you're doing your most beautiful work? Yeah, Flow Consciousness Institute. That's our that's our that's our institute that's holding all this different work that we're doing. So flowconsciousnessinstitute.com. You can Google it. That's too complex to spell out. Sometimes I mess it up. Um, and Conscious Lifestyle Magazine. Uh, those are the two portals to kind of tap into my worlds right now. So um, invite you to check those out. There's a lot of great stuff there. Awesome, man. And and the book that has most blown your mind open recently is. Uh, I would check out the immortal self. It's a good one. That's what I'm currently finishing right now. So thank you brother for sharing space with me. It's been an honor. Yeah. Likewise. Every time. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Justin Fairman and what an awesome, beautiful man he is. And it was an honor to have him on the show. If you want to explore more about his work, please go to the Flow Consciousness Institute. I have no doubt that Justin and Jackie, the other co-founder of that institute, and myself are going to be collaborating and co-creating some beautiful projects coming at you soon. It's just a feeling that I have. Uh, if you want to check out more about the work that I do, you can go to flowtribe.co. We run Flow Pods, which are six-week uh, co-journeys. These are pods where we move together through mindfulness, meditation, energy practices to get into a higher state of flow. If you want to explore my work on the company and entrepreneurial level, please go to flowstate.co. Connect with me if you are a leader or you run an organization that you feel has latent potential yet to be catalyzed. 
organizations and flow is the new paradigm. This is where we're moving into out of the dark days of, of companies set up like machines. We're moving into a brighter future of companies thriving as living, breathing organisms. This is the work that I'm stepping into. If you want to work at one of these places, get in touch. Jiro at flowstate.co. Sending you heaps of love and flow. Take care until next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>